Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. First of all, I'd like to um, invite you to um, joining the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We want to welcome you being in attendance today. We certainly are glad to have you. And uh, we have a very special guest today. His name is Anthony Berger. And Anthony is with uh, an insurance company that I've used for many years, uh, Christian and Jordan. And um, they may not be so well known uh, in the marketplace, but there's a reason why you should get to know this particular insurance company and uh, the value that they bring, especially as you might be uh, looking to insure your commercial real estate properties. So, Anthony, I want to thank you for being here today. We're certainly glad to have you. And um, we welcome you uh, to the show. Thank you, Joel. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, just um, give us a little a little background on, let's do the company first. Give us a little background on Pritchard and Jordan and uh, what makes them unique in the marketplace. And then I'd like to get a little background on yourself after that, if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, Pritchard and Jordan has been around since 1960 here in Atlanta. Depending on the day of the week, we are either the first or second largest independent insurance broker in the state of Georgia. Okay. And we are the uh, North American representative for Georgia for a group called Assurex Global, which is a conglomerate, what's considered to be the best of the best independent insurance firms uh, all over the world. So we've got about 600 partners globally. Okay. We were founded in 1960 based as a real estate agency mm-hmm. and have grown from there from about a two-person shop doing just real estate work to uh, about 100 employees here in Atlanta. We've done all lines of insurance from uh, commercial and business to uh, group and group health and employee benefits and personal lines. So our model has always been to serve the small and middle market space that companies that don't have their own risk management department, we serve as their outsourced risk managers. So we take on that role of being the client's insurance department, handle all coverage placement, contract reviews, risk management, loss control, um, we have an internal claims advocacy team that works with you if you have an event of a claim. So try to provide a very holistic, large risk management type approach for companies that don't have that risk management department of their own. Okay. All right. That's insightful. So actually working as a as an outsourced insurance arm of a uh, institution as opposed to bring that in-house, that's very valuable. And then, as you mentioned, with all the resources that you have, you're able to uh, spread your tentacles out, and, and I'm sure it would provide different types of, of policies and coverages based on the needs of the client, it would sound like. Is that safe? Correct. Yeah, we, uh, we write every line of insurance that you can consider, so there's uh, very little that we don't do. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a little bit about your background. Uh, you just woke up as a baby and decided to go into the insurance business, huh? That's right. <laughs> no, I, um, I was not going to be in insurance, but uh, I, like many folks in the industry, kind of fell into it and found that it's a, it's a great career. So my background, I, I went to the University of Alabama, uh, graduated, and then um, was doing some sales jobs randomly around Atlanta. I got an opportunity to go work for Chubb Insurance Company, which at the time was Bill Ace in Delaware, and went up there and started doing international underwriting. So underwriting global accounts, wanted to get back down south. So moved down here, started doing excess and surplus lines underwriting. So harder to place non-traditional insurance uh, for a few years and then came over to Pritchard and Jordan. 
And I've been here for 12 years. So I'm a vice president, one of the partners here now. And I spent about seven years of my career here running our market placement division. So any new account that came into the agency, me and my team did the analysis of the risk, took the account to market and negotiated the program, put the proposals together for our sales team to go back and, and deal with the client. Okay. All right. So it's a lot more work involved in just uh, quoting rates, obviously. Hope you'd hope you'd hope your agent's doing more than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So very good point. And and this this kind of <clears throat> makes me think about this on a more holistic basis. You know, 1960 is a long time to be in business. And obviously the, the company has done well and been able to go through reiterations of maybe management and other individuals, turnover and everything else, and still stay fluid and stay successful. What do you think has really led to that? success with all the changes and that people make over the years, management changes and everything else? What, what would you say? Yeah, I would say a lot of it is our commitment to staying independent. So many of our competitors have sold off to the large nationals, the, the Marshalls, the Aeons, the Epics, all that. So we, we've got a very young ownership team that is committed to staying independent and really focusing on serving our clients and not serving shareholders and worried about stock prices. So that's been a big part of it, that we're really looking to partner with our clients and, and stay relevant and understand that we work with a lot of private companies. We're also a private company, so we understand their day-to-day -day operations, and, and we're really looking to be a part of their executive uh, board as their insurance division. And just you know, focused on continued client service and, and bringing in new young folks and new ideas and evolving and changing as the, as the industry and the world changes. We've done a great job with that. And you know, if you you ever did get a chance to see our office, it, it looks more like an advertising firm than an insurance agency. It, that brings a lot of young talent in here. So we've been able to change and change what we do. And like I said, we started out doing just real estate and now there's nothing we don't do. So we've just evolved and, and grown and changed as we needed to. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. The, the ability to recruit and, and re retain young blood is uh, very important when you think of a company trying to grow and, and expand like that. So appreciate you sharing that. Uh, that's very insightful. As you know, when we set this call up, um, we were obviously giving you a little background on what this is all about. And, and our background and the listeners are in the commercial real estate space for the most part. And so insurance is, is one of those things that I think people from time to time just think it's a necessary evil. Sure. You know, it's one of those things that you don't have much control over, but it's on your balance sheet. It's an expense. It's, uh, you know, not always viewed in the most desirous light until you need it, <laughs> right? So what, what would you say a person should have from a perception standpoint as it relates to their commercial real estate expense, or not expense, but their commercial real estate coverage? Uh, is it just a matter of just putting something on a building and, and having it covered? Or what are some things that need to be considered that could kind of change that perception? Yeah. So you said a great word. You said uh, not much control. So one of the things that we really like to do is try to put more control of risk management back in our clients' hands because anybody can be an insurance buyer. Everybody has to have insurance. But you know, to really look at risk management on a holistic profile and try to make your company a better company from a safety culture, a loss mitigation, loss prevention standpoint, you know, looking what you've got insurance for. Real estate, you're always going to have contractual requirements, whether it's from a lender or an investor. So reviewing your insurance policies to make sure that you're meeting those contractual requirements is very important. 
the terms and conditions of every insurance policy are going to be different. So making sure that you are reading the forms or have someone reviewing those forms for you so you know what's covered, what's not covered, what's excluded. There's a lot of language that's snuck into an insurance policy that you may think you have coverage for something and you don't. You know, an example that, that I like to talk about for real estate is uh, terrorism. So in every insurance policy you purchase, you'll pay for what's called TRIA, which is the Government Terrorism Program. Okay. Interesting thing about that program, it started after 9-11 mm-hmm. and uh, was meant to cover terrorist attacks. It has never paid out a claim and since it's been established. And in order for it to pay a claim, you have to have a $5 million loss. It has to be certified by three levels of the government. So you think about things like the Las Vegas shooting, the Orlando bombing, or excuse me, Boston bombing, the Orlando nightclub shooting, any of those kind of events were never deemed terrorism. So insurance did not pay any of those claims. So terms and conditions like that, where you could go out and buy what's called standalone terrorism coverage and active assailant coverage, which would cover those events, whether they were certified by the government or not. You know, another big area we see with with real estate is uh, assault and battery. There's a lot of assault and battery exclusions in policies. Pollution and mold are big areas that you'll find exclusion. So are you fi- are you getting pollution coverage? So just really the terms and conditions of the policies, everybody's going to have property. Everybody's going to have general liability. Everybody's going to have an umbrella. But it's what's in those policies and what you're required to carry contractually. Flood, earthquake, all the natural disasters are going to wow. play into it. So it's really just uh, the details of the policy. They always say the devil's in the details, and that's certainly true in insurance. And you don't want to be left holding the bag for a claim when you thought you had coverage and you don't. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh, let's say, you know, the, the flavor of the month, if you will, is multifamily right now. Everybody wants to jump into multifamily. And when you look at that, let's say if you're looking at a project from a development standpoint, what type of coverage would you say would be vitally important to keep in mind or to uh, certainly have as it relates to real estate development, multifamily development? Sure. Yeah, we, we do a lot of multifamily development. So depending if you're looking from the owner's side during the project or you're talking about the operational side. Well, let's say owner's side for now, and then we can talk about operation maybe afterwards. Okay. So yeah, when you're developing a project as the owner, looking at ground up construction to, to build the, the multifamily place first, there's several ways you can ensure that risk for yourself. And one is an owner's interest liability policy. So that's going to give you as the owner, liability protection for not only the premises, but for construction defect claims against the contractor that are also brought against the owner. So we always recommend that at a minimum, the owners carry an owner's interest liability policy Uh during construction. And it has to be amended to include extended completed operation through the statute of repose for the state. So that way, after the construction is done, and the policies expired the next from Georgia, it's eight years. Uh, you would have defense costs covered if there's a construction defect claim brought against you as the owner after construction. So that's one way to do it. Another is what's called a mini wrap or an owner contractor policy, uh-huh. where you as the owner would actually insure yourself and the general contractor that's building the project under the same policy. You own the insurance, you own the policy. So if there's a claim, you get to go to your file cabinet and pull out that policy rather than getting a dispute with the general contractor. Okay. That's a very good way to insure it. Uh, and then lastly, there's the full OSIP program, which is the owner controlled insurance program, 
where you're insuring yourself as the owner, the general contractor, and all the subcontractors under one policy. So those are the three ways to look at the construction side of it. Owner's interest is obviously the least expensive for the owner, OSIP being the most expensive, but OSIP, yeah, the most control, owner's interest, least control. Okay, now I know in a, a lot of cases um, you have situations where the, the contractor is, is covering their own coverage, but it sounds like you're indicating that that's not really enough. You would still want to have an umbrella kind of wrapped around the uh, GC's coverage of him and his subs. Is that safe to say? So the general contractor is looking out for himself. They're going to name you additional insured on the project. So you've got a little bit of a defense if there's a claim, but to really have some more control and to have control of claims and defense costs through the statute of repose, you really need your own insurance. The GC's policy is only going to cover you during the project period. Mm-hmm. That's done. They're out. They're out. They're not going to cover you for any claims after that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that makes perfectly good sense. And then from a uh, operational standpoint, an ongoing concern, how would you cover that? Or how would you recommend a person cover that type of situation? Yep. So the, um, and we didn't get into builder's risk, but that's obviously another portion of that. But um, so from operational standpoints, the multifamily has probably been the, one of the most challenged industries uh, in insurance recently. Most of it's frame construction. So you've got tons of fires. you got tenants that are starting fires in the kitchen and this, that, and the other. So property is very expensive right now for multifamily. Mm-hmm. So managing deductibles on your property and terms and conditions is very important there. Liability insurance, making sure that you do have coverage for the assault and battery and sexual abuse that we talked about earlier. You'll find a lot of exclusions for that in policies now. There'll be exclusions for mold, fungus, and bacteria in the general liability policy. So trying to buy that coverage back so that you've got coverage for legionnaires and mold issues. And then buying adequate umbrella limits. So one of the issues that we're facing in Georgia a lot is that there's been no tort reform. And in years, and personal injury attorneys are really, really going after claims. Mm-hmm. So a claim that used to be, you know, hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars is now all of a sudden getting into three million, five million, ten million dollars. So you're piercing those umbrella limits that never used to be touched. So the pricing for umbrella has also gone through the roof. So we, we're seeing clients that are getting anywhere from sixty percent to three hundred percent increases on their umbrella rates. Wow! Because claims are really starting to hit that, and a lot of it is. You know, slip and falls and assault and batteries. Really? Well, <clears throat> interesting. So really making sure you have all these covers in place is very important. You mentioned about exclusions. Let's say that uh, your policy does have those exclusions. What's the what's the situation or the, the process to get around that? Is it just a matter of finding another vendor or, you know, how do you get around that if there are certain exclusions in a policy, but you need those in there or want those in there? So the first option would be go back to your agent and see if they can get that coverage bought back into the policy or those exclusions removed. Um, a lot of insurance companies will just stick those exclusions on, hoping nobody notices them, but it's as easy as asking to take them off a lot of times. Sometimes they will not. So in the uh, situation for assault and battery, you could look at buying a standalone uh, active assailant and terrorism policy, which would cover those kind of events outside of the regular insurance policy. Uh, for the mold coverage, you could buy a site pollution policy. So that's going to give you coverage for any kind of mold or um, Legionnaires or anything like that. So if you can't get it built into the policy, you look at just standalone coverages for those. Gotcha. Gotcha. So either have them added back in or look at some uh, external riders in order to uh, to cover that. 
Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I did just want to mention that, um, <clears throat> you know, we have a small group with us today, but um, as always, uh, insurance was one of the topics that came up multiple times. So we wanted to make sure that we had a guru come on and, and talk about insurance. So uh, if any questions come up from uh, any of you and you want to go through that, please feel free to just put your question in the uh, chat box or uh, raise your virtual hand and we'll certainly uh, call on you to, um, to address those questions. So we appreciate that feedback. With that all being said, if we were to look at, at insurance, I know that there are, you know, just like with anything else, there's so many different avenues that you could go down. Could you entertain us for a minute, for lack of a better word, and kind of just give us a Reader's Digest version of some of the major types of insurance and, and what it covers and why is it important? Sure. We'll do that. Okay. Yep. So uh, going back to the kind of the development side, okay. you've got your general liability and your umbrella over excess liability. So that's your public liability and construction defect and premises liability for an injury on your site, anything like that. Builder's risk insurance is going to be covering the property during construction. So if there is a fire three quarters of the way through the project and it burns it down, that's going to be where you recover. And you know, builder's risk is a very important one we should probably touch on because a base builder's risk policy really needs to be amended so that you're really focusing on what would be your loss as far as a delay if the project burned down three quarters of the way or almost to the end. So the, the period of indemnity that you're purchasing for your loss of income is mm -hmm. very important to focus on, making sure that you've got flood and earthquake coverage built into it, and then reviewing your soft costs. So a lot of soft costs in an insurance project are not going to be recurring costs, and there's going to be things like land that are built into your budget. You can't insure land. So taking some of those costs out to reduce your insurance premium, but make sure that you're covered adequately is very important. So builder's risk is a good one to focus on. Professional liability, if we're providing any professional services like lease, lease management, asset management, development, or construction management, where we could cause a third party a financial loss, and that's where you get into professional liability, and that is excluded from any general liability policy. So that's something you do have to buy standalone. Like I said, standalone terrorism, uh, an active assailant, and that's going to cover if any one person comes on your site trying to do harm to one or more other employees or patrons of your company, that's where that coverage would kick in. And it covers the liability issues. It covers your reputational damage, your loss of income, anything like that. So that's something. Uh, how, that. how expensive is, is that insurance nowadays? You know, we used to hear about all these cases on a regular basis, but Statistically, there's still a lot of mass shootings going on. They're just not hitting in the newspapers. Uh, and you probably know that better than anyone as an insurance agent. So have those prices gone up dramatically? Have you seen a lot of people getting those policies or what's really going on in that marketplace? So, yeah, you're right. So we had, what, 713 shootings over the weekend here in Atlanta. And those are all on someone's site. So whoever owns that real estate is, is going to be brought into those suits for assault and battery, right? The good thing about the standalone programs is they're written out of London for the most part. So the European market is still much cheaper from that, from a products liability and a terrorism standpoint than the United States market. So we, we haven't seen a ton of adjustment in that pricing, uh, even with all the events that are going on. That's different in the US market, it's definitely gone up. But if you're getting these standalone products out of London, then the, uh, the pricing has been pretty flat. Gotcha, gotcha. 
that, and that would cover um, situations like what happened even in the old complex that you were in down there on Piedmont uh, with an active shooter situation. That's correct. Uh, yeah, that, that would cover that as well, correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay. So that's a great example. So the, the real estate owner there probably had regular terrorism coverage built into their general liability policy mm-hmm. and not, not respond to that event. Yeah. So what happens in a situation like that is because terrorism insurance, I don't know if that's always required from a, a lending standpoint. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But, you know, if you have a situation like that, I guess really the lawsuits can just fly and uh, the attorneys are certainly going to go after the owner of that building. Is that safe to say? Yeah, you're going to get sued by everybody who's involved and the owner of the building is going to get claims left and right. So that's going to cover those claims, your defense, you know, Funeral costs, crisis management, public relations, third-party property damage, any of that stuff is going to be bundled in there, along with you'll have some uh, loss of income for reputational damage. And then that's something that can be placed on just a single location or multiple locations. You can kind of piece that coverage together however you want to do it. And it is typically something we see required in most all lender requirements. So we tell our clients, look, you got to buy this stuff. You might as well buy something that's actually covering you rather than just throwing money at this government program that's not paying out claims. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Now, you, you mentioned something that I, I just want to go a little deeper on. You mentioned about reputational risk and insurance for that. How does insurance, just for our audience, help with reputational risk? How, how does it do that? How does it cover reputational risk? Yep. So it's a financial function. So say we had an event at our site. So we had a shooting at our site and uh, that drove business away from us for a period of six to eight months. People didn't want to come because they were, they were scared. They didn't want to come back to, to our, our site. Mm-hmm. You would have an income coverage built into that program to recoup your losses over what you would have made during that six month period on any other on a prior year basis. Gotcha, gotcha. So it, it, it doesn't sound like it's protecting or covering your reputation, though. It's more so giving you money in order to make up for the losses that you would have had from people not coming to the site. So, so there's that, and there's a public relations function of it as well. So they're going to help you put out media announcements and, and, and TV and anything like that. So they're, they're going to help coach you through the PR process as well. Okay, all right, gotcha. So some of that money is actually for marketing in order to uh, kind of get back to, you know, putting things the way they were. Yep, that goes into kind of the crisis management function of the policy. Okay, got it. A lot of team of experts working with you to mitigate any kind of public relations loss. Okay, all right, understandable. Appreciate that. Uriah, you have a question that has uh, come up here. Do you mind asking it directly? Uh, Are you in a position to do that? I don't know if you're in a noisy place or not. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Uh, This is a great discussion. So in terms of assessing properties that, may be in close proximity to things such as like a mechanic or a garage or like a, a gas station or things like that. What types of insurance products should be considered for those type of properties? Obviously. Are properties that are in close proximity or either that are in or adjacent? For example, if you think about, you know, old East Atlanta area, um, you're starting to see a lot of new development and some of these properties, the new development, or in close proximity to like either previous gas stations or cleaners or uh, mechanic shops, things like that, that have been torn down. So I'm just considering from like either, you know, environmental 
challenges, uh, things that may be in the in the actual ground and stuff. Uh, what type of insurance products should be considered for those type of properties? Yeah, if you're ever looking at something that was a prior dry cleaner, gas station, maintenance shop, anything where you could have some pollution issues, then and then it's called site pollution or PLL policy. So that's going to cover uh, any kind of environmental issues that were already in the ground that you weren't aware of. Uh, they'll make you do a phase one report when you purchase the land to get the insurance coverage. So that'll we'll do a soil test and see if they can find anything in the land. Okay. If they don't find anything there, then you have that policy. And if anything later on comes up that you are responsible to remediate because you own the land, that's where you would find the coverage there through the site pollution policy. So the coverage would be more leaning towards remediation or to cover remediation potentially? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate that. Thanks for contributing, Uriah. We appreciate it. Uh, and Jerry, you had a question also. Are you in a position to ask that where you're at? Or? Yeah, I am. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you great. Okay, great. Gosh, Anthony, you brought up so many awesome topics and, you know, now I'm thinking my head's kind of flooded with questions and so I'm going to stumble through the, the ones I kind of want to ask. So <clears throat> just in the wake of being an entrepreneur in real estate and commercial real estate, small business, you know, our whole world and environment has taken a massive hit between uh, COVID. So I kind of wanted to get your reflection on how you're ensuring or what kind of activities you're, you're um, or, or what kind of developments there are, you know, against insuring against pandemics. I know that's something that insurance companies have said, yeah, we'll do everything except for that. But also you brought up the topic about, you know, uh, impacts to business for acts of terrorism. So, you know, our whole country, we've gone through a lot this year um, as far as there was an impact of the riots in several cities, you know, businesses being looted and burned out in addition to, um, you know, that just kind of has happened all year. And one of the things you said was, you know, as far as t acts of terrorism. So what is the impact of possible legislative changes for insuring businesses against newly declared domestic acts of terrorism? Sure. That's a loaded question there, boy. I know. I know. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I, I just stumble through it and see what, what he has for us. So, I mean, I want to thank you in advance for uh, the opportunity to ask the question. Yeah, no, thank you. I may have to break uh, it into pieces because um, she brings up a, a very good point, you know, especially about... Uh, you know, all the current domestic terrorism things and then loss of uh, even in the office sector where, you know, the, the tenant base is gone and the valuation on those buildings have gone down. So a lot to cover there, but I'll, I'll let you take it in the direction you want to go. I'll try to fill in the blanks. Yeah. So, so starting with the pandemic issues, you're right. Every insurance contract specifically excludes pandemics and disease. So there is no coverage there in the standard insurance policy. Now, Every state has been sued to try to collect business interruption losses from the pandemic. And we will see what legislation happens with that. Certain states like New York and California, you may start to see some change in that, but they've had no luck so far. So we'll have to see how that goes. There is pandemic insurance available. It is expensive. And to my knowledge, one of the only major companies that I had seen purchase it was Wimbledon. And they ended up 
getting about a $40 million check during the pandemic because they had purchased it every year. But it cost about $100,000 per million dollars of limit. So it's not something that is regularly purchased or, or really affordable, but it is out there. So they that, those products are becoming more available, obviously, to cover future pandemics. And then you mentioned the, the riots and the civil commotion. That, that's a great point. And we've seen over a billion dollars in property losses already come in from that. And that is something from a property, from a structural property standpoint, that is covered in, in your property policy. So all these buildings that were burned down are insured. And that, that's been a big contribution to the rate increases that we're seeing in the property world. So we've had, uh, last year was the most active natural disaster from a hurricane standpoint in history. Uh, we had wildfires, we had billion dollars of losses before business interruption losses come in on the, the riots and civil commotion, tons of flooding. So it, it's been a bad, bad property year on top of about two or three really bad property years prior to that. So property is one of the, the hardest lines of insurance right now, especially when you're talking about frame multifamily, you'll, you'll see the rates have gone up significantly there. But from a terrorism standpoint and domestic terrorism, how that would be handled. So like I said earlier, for the government programs to cover those, it would have to be deemed terrorism by the government, which they have not done on any of these so far. So that's where, again, you'd be looking at those standalone terrorism pro programs because they don't have to be deemed a terroristic event by any kind of government entity. It just has to be a loss from a political uh, motivated, motivated event or a riot, anything like that. Those would respond to that. So you, again, would be looking at those kind of London-written terrorism and political violence programs. Wow. So one of the other questions that I had, and, uh, it came up before my other questions came up. So what type of premium increase uh, as far as a percentage wise, are we looking at for those types of insurances for the, you know, um, disaster insurance or the domestic terrorism insurance though, as an addition? So the terrorism insurance is actually relatively affordable right now. So the minimum premium started about $2,000 and that's for some larger companies and they grow from there. But they have, they have not seen a huge increase in that pricing from a percentage rate, uh, even with everything going on. Now, maybe this will change over the course of the next year as more claims start to come in, but there's just not a lot of folks that have purchased that. So they haven't paid out a ton of claims yet. So their, their book of business has not been really, really impacted, but it is becoming more popular as, as this stuff is coming light and people are learning about these products. Great. Thank you so much. Well, that was, that was uh, quite insightful. Let me ask about um, offices. I'm, I'm always concerned about that. I uh, grew up in Manhattan, so the office world is, is something, you know, that, that's always been there, you know, with a lot of offices. And it looks like people might not be going back to work in the traditional sense of going into a, a big office building, a lot of people working remotely. There's loss of revenue there. And you know, in commercial real estate, the value of a piece of property is based upon its cash flow. So if the cash flow isn't there for a variety of reasons, that's impactful. Uh, how is insurance adjusted to all of those uh, changes in the commercial real estate space as it relates to office? So it, it's a work in progress. And I'll tell you, one of the big things that people don't think about is uh, most insurance policies have what's called a vacancy clause built into them where if your property becomes less than 30% occupied for more than 60 days, the insurance company is off the hook for paying a claim. Mm. So one of the big things we're trying to do is, is really look at the rent rolls of our clients' offices and make sure that they're at uh, a reasonable occupancy. And then if they're not, try to get vacancy clauses removed out of the policies. 
there's a loss of income. So you do have, you know, your loss of rents coverage in the policy to cover some of that. But um, it's, it's going to be an interesting world to see if people do come back. I know I know a lot of friends that their companies have non-renewed their leases indefinitely and just said, we're letting everybody work from home. So they're, they're selling off their properties. But it's, it's going to be a, a developing world. So insurance is always about six months behind figuring out what's going on before the policies are adjusted by the insurance companies. Uh-huh. So it's really working with your agent and broker to see what kind of creative ways you can manage your specific risk. And a lot of it is just policy tweaks and, and maybe adding standalone coverages. Gotcha, gotcha. What part of the market right now are you seeing the greatest increase in insurance demand and, and growth? Cyber insurance. Okay, okay. Um, that is where we, cyber theft, I would I would think is that what you're referring to? Cyber theft? Cyber has changed a good bit from what it used to be. So you know, a lot of people thought of cyber as some lone hacker sitting in his basement trying to get in and steal your data. But that has turned into a full-scale criminal organization where it's state-sponsored a lot of times and they're creating there's millions and millions and millions of types of malware every day. So I think there it's like four million dollar, four million uh, new different types of malware being created a day now. Wow! If they'll send them out, and they're just pinging your systems and trying to get in. And if they find their way in, they will sit. They'll sit in your emails if you're the CFO and just watch who you're talking to, where you're transferring money, when you're transferring money, if you're going to be acquiring or buying anything, and then they'll start to send out fraudulent emails as you with wiring instructions to send money to different accounts. And, and you've voluntarily parted with money at that point. So a standard crime coverage in your property policy is not gonna cover that. They're sending out things where you'll click on it and then they'll extort you and lock down your systems for you know 10 Bitcoins, which is a lot of money now. Uh, and if you don't pay it, they'll delete all of your client files and all your systems and you're, you're back to nothing. So, We've seen a huge demand in cyber insurance. We've seen a huge increase in cyber claims. Malware and ransomware and extortion is up about 300% since last year. And a lot of that is because of COVID and people are working remote. So they're working on their home systems where maybe they don't have great firewalls and they're not using the company VPNs. Mm -hmm. So they're more susceptible to risk. So we're, we're seeing a ton of cyber claims and probably more demand as people are starting to see that that's a very important coverage carry. Okay. All right. Wow. That's something that wasn't even on my radar for this conversation today. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's something that every industry, whether you're a contractor, real estate, real estate owner, developer, a bank, it, they're just they're hitting everybody, and it's not what you do. It's can I get into your system? And yeah. you know, they're they're really not even trying to steal your sensitive data anymore because they have to go sell that on the dark web. So the quick way to make money is just to extort you and and say if you don't pay us, then we're going to delete your system. Yeah. Are there any uh, personal insurance coverages that protect a, an individual against situations like that? I've seen one that's come out. I think that uh, it's a Lloyd's program where they're trying to connect that to the personal line side. It's a little bit more difficult, but there, there's some identity theft and some limited personal cyber programs that are starting to come in the market. Gotcha. It would seem like that would be a big market for small businesses that maybe don't have the technology of a IBM firewall, you know, to, to protect them, you know, and they're working off of home-based systems. I guess there are all policies available for those. It's just a matter of cost. Is that correct? Yeah, there, there certainly are. And, and cyber is still probably underpriced. It's very affordable. So you can get a million-dollar cyber limit for a $10 million revenue company for 
you know, less than $5,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still very affordable. I think rates are starting to go up because we're seeing so many claims. And then once there's any kind of large aggregated loss where an Amazon Web Services or a Google or somebody like that gets hacked and mm-hmm. all of that data gets out, that'll disrupt the market completely. But right now, you, you can get small business cyber for anywhere from $500 to $2,500. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know. So it's not out, out the reach of um, you know normal businesses from that standpoint. No, absolutely not. And we would recommend everybody look at it. A lot of times on your small business owner's policy, they'll just include some data privacy coverage. But um, uh, we would always say look at a full cyber program because there's a lot more coverage in that. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, that's very interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Like I said, that wasn't even on the radar for today, so I appreciate you bringing that up. We're actually uh, winding down. We're getting ready to wrap up in a little bit. Is there anything else that you think we should know as regards insurance? Um, uh, actually, before we go to that, Uriah said he had a follow-up to his first question, so let's uh, let's let him jump in and uh, ask his question. Go ahead, Uriah. Absolutely. So to digress back to my first question, should should there be certain products that need to be considered during the phase one. So for the phase one, going back to the example around purchasing properties that may be in close proximity to mechanic shop, you know, mechanic shops or gas stations or things like that. Are there any insurance products that should be considered during the phase one? I, I would say that if you're buying properties that are, that are close to those kind of locations, you should always have a master pollution policy in place and then you can just schedule every every location that you purchase onto that same policy so they can you can share those limits between all your properties but you're just bound to run into some kind of issue if you're on a bunch of old gas stations or dry cleaners or anywhere where there's been chemicals fuels anything like that so a site pollution policy would be something i would certainly look at okay okay thank you gotcha gotcha all right well sounds real good so uh, in conclusion, what else would you would you want us to know about uh, about insurance and commercial real estate? Um, well, what's the thought that you want us to walk away with for today? I would say it's a changing market and it's a tough marketplace. So the insurance market is cyclical. So about every seven years, the market is soft and prices are going down. We're in the midst of a very, very hard market, probably the, the hardest market since 9-11, uh, where rates are going up and they're going up very high right now. So we're in about the second year of a very, very hard market. So expect to see costs go up. Umbrella pricing and property pricing are are very expensive right now. It will correct itself at some point. But like I said, between all the natural disasters and the riots and everything like that, the the property market is is chuffed. So we're probably going to be in a couple more years of this hard market and you'll see the rates start to come down. But as as you're investing and buying properties, just expect to see expensive property and umbrella rates. Okay. All right. That's good to know. And, and Anthony, uh, I certainly appreciate you taking out time this morning in order to share this uh, wealth of wisdom with us. Um, it just really goes to show that there, there's so many policies and angles and things to think about and exclusions, and you really need to bring somebody in that knows this stuff as opposed to trying to figure it out on your own. And uh, if that was the case, what, what would you say is one of the best ways to reach uh, either you or your firm? I don't know if you sit behind a firewall and don't take calls directly from people, but <laughs> what would you say is the best way to uh, reach either yourself or, or the firm if someone had more questions? Really? Yeah, feel free to reach out to me and if you can share my info with everyone on the call. That'd be fine. Our website is www.pjins.com and our main number is 
uh, 238-9090. Feel free to ask for me. Um, but yeah, get in touch with us any way you need to. We're, we're happy to help. And uh, like you said, we don't expect you guys to be insurance experts. That's not your job. You're supposed to be working in real estate, handling real estate development. So push that on to somebody who does it every day. And that's what we do. Yeah, no, I, I think that's excellent and a very beautiful way to um, to conclude this discussion. So, uh, you know, insurance is, is valuable. And as we mentioned from the very beginning, it's not something that you always focus on. I know, especially in the real estate space, we're looking at cash flows and expenses for development and renovation rates and, you know, just all these other things. And insurance is always kind of like this side thing that you have to have. So you kind of give it attention, but not the attention always that it needs. So I'm glad you were able to uh, to kind of give us some insight as to why your insurance really needs to be a major part of your discussion uh, as it relates to any real estate product. So, yeah, the uh, the cheapest insurance policy tends to be the most expensive one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have a claim. Exactly. So, and, and it's certainly something that when you need it, you need it. So it's good to have it. So I appreciate all your expertise. Were there any other questions before we wrap up for the day? I think that was pretty much it. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate you guys. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much. It's been a couple of weeks uh, coming together to get this. Actually, I think we started talking late last year. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. So I'm glad we get done. Absolutely. So it's been great. And uh, thank you so much for your time and everything else. And uh, make sure the guys over there that know me, I said hello. Well, all right. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Yep. And thank you for joining us with Mornings with Joel, our CRE podcast. We'll have this posted shortly. And we thank you very much for your listening and being in attendance. Have a great day. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.